he's a really good storyteller. It's pretty solid. So he was telling these different stories about historical figures. Yeah, right. And um, and it was cool to hear to hear that. I'm still like thinking about the the Da Vinci story that he talked about and the. Um, with the Mona Lisa and then the little note about the woodpecker's tongue. Mm. Um, he mentioned the, he talked about not being too concerned about the past, which I thought was interesting. And it reminded me after the fact of the book, um, The Education of Henry Adams, which is, which in that book, he leaves out an entire 20 years of his life. He talks about some personal things, but he leaves out his, I think it's his, he mentions his wife, but he leaves out their, in, their whole relationship and that whole part of his life. I think probably his wife's um, their relationship, maybe her death was in there somewhere. Um, so you get young Henry Adams, you get uh, Henry Adams as he's going into like his formative years, going getting into politics, learn his experience with Abraham Lincoln and with um, that whole world and then you get his later years but you don't get that so like it I it just made me think about that and wonder about the things that people choose or maybe the things that um the parts of one's personal story that they find might be more valuable to other people, right? Because we are sharing this with other people or maybe that are not, either that they don't think is valuable or that they don't necessarily want to share that has, that is just not a part of their life anymore. But if we, uh, yeah, I don't know. Because we didn't ask about it. Because yeah, we didn't ask yeah. him about it. It's right, and because... that's part of this. This part of this this experiment is, as we're looking back at the, as we're looking back at the conversation, then thinking, oh, I could have. What if I would have asked this? What, or what did you want to ask? What would you, in hindsight, what would you have asked him about, or what did you feel was missing from what he shared? Oh well, maybe I would have asked. Um, why uh, he doesn't really think about the past. Like what? But in some ways that was answered in just the way that he views the world from that humanistic lens and from that, that being in the presence lens. So maybe that is already answered in the context of the conversation. Yeah, that was my take from it. Um, and I don't know what the right balance of thinking about the past and being in the present and not worrying about the yeah. past is. And I think that differs yeah. for very, based on the person. Yes. How much do you think about legacy, I think, was the question. 
or, or what yeah. when you when you think about legacy, what does that mean to you? Yeah, yeah. Um, and he said he doesn't think too much about it. Mm -hmm. a, a very thoughtful individual who maybe we would think would give more thought to legacy. Uh, maybe that's why it was surprising. Mm. Why? Because he's thoughtful? Because he's thoughtful and intentional and tells stories, tells, yeah. tells a lot of stories and appreciates history. Yeah. What are the stories people are going to say about you? When you mm. think about your legacy and your story, mm. what, what are people going to share about that? Um, is why maybe it surprised me. Mm -hmm. uh, he, what makes Don special to me is the way he makes other people feel and we talked a little bit about that mm -hmm. um, how he lifts other people up how he, he builds on the strong qualities of you and makes you believe in things maybe that you don't believe or see in yourself Yeah. and he does that regularly mm -hmm. goes out of the way to find those moments uh, and I think that's what makes him unique and special. And, and he cares deeply about the people that he does that for, mm -hmm. too. It's genuine yeah. and, and authentic. Yeah. Uh, and I think that's rare. Mm -hmm. it, it was rare in my experience um, working with someone like that mm -hmm. that would show up regularly in a team meeting um, or just kind of on a one-on-one -on -one interaction. Mm -hmm to find something he saw or that he thought that maybe otherwise would have went unnoticed. Shared that with you and then shared his thoughts on that. Yeah. I saw him do that in teams, in groups, and individually on a consistent basis. And what that does for the other person, right, that lifts them up and then he talked about how that how it feels to do mm -hmm. that work. Mm -hmm. You got him fired up about politics. <laughs> like his energy changed. Like he was he got <laughs> fired up. Yeah, that was a a first I think for our show was one talking about current the current political uh, landscape and um, and then a first for myself sharing some of my views on it <laughs> and then hearing and then listening and, and hearing what he what his beliefs and his his um, what he values in mm -hmm. that space um, I think what is so, what I love about talking to people about what they're passionate about is, is that the, the energy shift mm -hmm. that they get excited or they get, there is, there is a change in body language. There is a change in vocal rhythm and inflection and all of that and i i love to people to see people whether or not i agree 
I love to see people light up about the things that they're excited about. Mm -hmm. And he and he did that with that. Mm -hmm. He also did that a little bit more subtly with with the storytelling, with the quotes that he shared, um, with the mini history lessons. Um, so, yeah, that was an interesting point in the episode for sure. Things that I noticed that he values history, politics, storytelling, and education. Intelligence. Relationships. And friendship. Humans. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, human yeah. relationship, friendship. Because yeah. he started people. out talking very highly about you and your connection and um even throughout talking about what he saw you do when you two were working together mm -hmm. um how did you feel about that he told me those things regularly yeah that's what makes don don is he yeah. would go out of his way to say those things yeah. um so uh, yeah, that stuff makes me feel good. Mm -hmm. It's positive reinforcement. Mm -hmm. It's here are the things that you were good at and um, here are examples of when you were good and do more of that. Mm -hmm. um, so, um, it was, it's great to hear again in summary, uh, thinking back about some of those experiences, but it, wasn't anything that he didn't say to me regularly in real time, which maybe even makes it more special. Yeah. Sometimes I think as humans, we hold back on yeah. building others up yeah. and looking for the best in each, in each other and finding moments to share strengths and what we like and what makes them special and what mm -hmm. makes them different and unique. Don did that almost every day. Mm-hmm. Not just to me. Yeah. That's who he was. Yeah. I'm going to look for interactions where I can share energy and build the good in people. Mm -hmm. That was his quote. That was, um, I speak ill of no man, mm -hmm. but speak all the good you know of everyone. Yeah, the Ben Franklin mm -hmm. quote. Mm -hmm. Not to say that he's not, not to say, I mean, he, he, I think he picks and chooses who mm -hmm. to spend that energy with. It, right. You could tell that he has kind of a, um, a sense for the humans that he wants to engage with and spend mm -hmm. that energy on. And he's not afraid to say, these aren't, mm -hmm. I, I don't see that in you. I don't see that it's worth my energy to build that up because yeah. I don't, I don't see the, whatever that connection is. Um, continues to make me stronger as a person. Mm -hmm. Continues to be a mentor and a, a thought partner um, and somebody maybe that pushes me outside of my comfort zone. Mm -hmm. um, expects me to do great things and, and tells me both good and bad. It's someone that can say, you weren't at your best here. And I can take that and say, well, it's from Don and he 
deeply cares about me. Some of the stuff that Jordan shared in his episode. Yeah. Um, being yeah, the, critic the or critiquing, right? Yeah. The intention behind uh, the feedback. I want, he's told me, I want Eaton to be the best that he can be at whatever he does. And, and that's, that's the lens that I take his feedback and his mm -hmm. critique from, both mm -hmm. positive and negative. Mm -hmm. Uh, yeah, he's on my personal board of directors as a mentor. Mm -hmm. um, and there are things that we don't agree on. Yeah. And there are things that he has opinions about that I don't, I don't agree with him all the time. And he doesn't agree with me all the time. And I think that's what makes it authentic and real. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. Yeah, it was an excellent conversation. And it was good to meet him and to see, and even just to see you two interact too. So, yeah, that was a special episode. Thanks for being on, Don. I love you, man. Thank you. Welcome to That's Deep with Eden and Jess. Today we have Don Anderson. Uh, Don is a friend and a mentor uh, and a thought partner. Uh, welcome to the show and thanks for being on. Don's Thank been you. influential um, to me both personally and professionally. Uh, and I wanted to have you on to share some of that wisdom and um, share thoughts on a number of different topics. Appreciate the time and energy for being on the podcast. Well, uh, thank you both so much for uh, asking me. And now, is this the part where I'm supposed to say nice things about you? No. <laughs> is, no. That, is that? No. Okay, because, real, I'm just checking. So, yeah. No. Uh, uh, Eden and I have been, uh, his term, thought partners, and, and I love that term. And um, he has taught me some wonderful things. His whole manner of how he, and 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 I'm not just saying this. I, I've said this a number of times, not just because he just said that, but the way that he he's able to basically control a room through his quietness, mm -hmm. you know, is is pretty incredible. And I've been in big meetings with him, with a lot of different people, and and people understand that he's thinking all the time. And so because he's quiet so often, when he does speak, you know, it's like everybody really, really wants to hear what he has to say. So that's, that's, that's a great lesson, a great way to be. And, um, and to be a, a thought partner of Eden is, you know, it's just a wonderful privilege for me. And, and, and I love it. <laughs> you know, it's as simple as that. So. I was trying to think about when we met and how we met. It was probably at, uh, at J.J. Keller at a human-centered design session. Uh, it was, um, I, in fact, I was telling Jess a little bit about this. Yeah. It was uh, a meeting only after I'd been with, the, uh, with Keller, I think, less than a year. And you were conducting, like, uh, associate surveys. And that was the first time that I ever uh, met Eden. And, and right away, you know, I thought, oh, this is a guy who's, who likes to think. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. I really, I, I really did. And, uh, and everybody had such respect for him. I, I didn't, you know, it was the first time I met him. Uh, but everybody in the room that knew him previous had such respect for him. And he had great questions and, and got a lot of good out of people. And, uh, yeah, so that, that was a great way for us to meet. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. 
Uh, I'd love to hear about you, Don. Um, would you share kind of childhood upbringing stuff with us a little bit? Sure. Uh, yeah. Sure. Uh, let's go back a few years and talk about um, okay. just, just, where, where you grew up and what it was like and, and maybe, um, you know, key influencers in, in your childhood. Uh, okay. Um, I grew up in a, in a town called Egg Harbor City in the southern part of New Jersey. It's a mm-hmm. town of about 5,000 people. And um, I don't know, when I look back on it, and my brother Johnny and I, who's 18 months younger than I am, he, and uh, he and I are very close, we talk about an almost idyllic childhood. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, just, you know, that that small town America kind of thing, yeah. uh, you know, playing little league outside all the time, that, that type of thing, in the woods a lot, because when people hear New Jersey, they think North Jersey, and they yeah. think, you know, yeah. Sopranos and chemical yeah. plants. And, it wasn't like that. You know, and no, where I grew up, it, it's actually similar, uh, similar to where I am in Winchester, Wisconsin. Okay. Uh, a lot of truck farms, rural, lot, lots of woods that I played in, climb trees constantly. In fact, I was climbing trees the other day, pine trees, and I have I have the wounds to prove it. So, yeah. And again, you know, you have to believe me when I tell you this <laughs> stuff. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So, um, so uh, loved it. Uh, good friends. Uh, uh, I had uh, I had a religious background. My parents, especially my mom, very very Catholic, and so going to church every Sunday and holiday and and all that. And I was an altar boy and an elector and. And, um, you know, so that was, that was in my background as well. And, uh, and influences the, um, we had a field right next to our house. It was called Anderson Field because the neighborhood played baseball, football, everything on there. And then next to Anderson Field was the city library. Okay. And, and I loved that little library. Mm. And I, I started to go into that place when I was five or six and, um, and it had a huge influence on me. Um, it it really jump started my love of reading. Mm-hmm. So uh, so that was great. Um, and and then and then just one other influence. My my uncle Mike. I have to mention my uncle Mike. That my son Mike was named after. And um, he was a man that um, that liked to have. He liked to joke around, but then he liked to have serious conversations. And so I'd go over to mm-hmm. his house when I was like 10, 11, 12, and we would talk about these extremely serious things, but, but laugh a lot as well. Mm. And that was, a great, uh, that was a great influence. And then, and then just one other one, and, and, and am I going on way too long? This is, this is about <laughs> you. Just so, yeah, yeah. yeah. This okay, is about so, you. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, because, you know, somebody wrote something about if you talk for yourself for more than 30 seconds, like, that's a cardinal sin. Who so, yeah, that? I can't remember. Yeah. I can't remember. But, yeah. <laughs> this, that's not the case yeah. on this podcast. Okay, yeah. okay that's fine. Yeah. Uh, no, but... Um, but then my, uh, my closest friend growing up from seventh grade on was uh, a guy named Gary, Gary Bingham. And he was extremely smart, extremely smart. He went to the public school. I went to the Catholic grammar school. He was extremely smart. And he taught me the lesson that, uh, that trying to be intelligent can be fun. <laughs> and that was a great lesson to learn. And, yeah. and it's worth it. 
like, like influence. Yeah, it's an okay thing to strive for, yes. to aspire to, and and it and it can be enjoyable along the way. A- absolutely. How did he teach you that? We laughed a hell of a lot. Yeah. <laughs> we did. Yeah. We laughed about everything uh, all the time, but yet still had these incredibly serious interests that we would share as well. Mm. And um, yeah, and it was great. And as a matter of fact, I got a chance five years ago now in February to go back to South Jersey on a Keller trip. And I got to see Gary and, and I hadn't seen him in maybe 30 years and got to tell him what I just told you that he had that influence mm-hmm. on me because I, mm-hmm. I never thought about it in that way when, yeah. you know, when we were younger. Yeah. And so, and so that was a great moment to be mm-hmm. able to do that. That was wonderful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, so that's a, very encapsulated. You person. do that often, Don. You you state things that are important to you that often go unstated. I think I, I've observed that. You're okay talking to someone and saying you you had a huge in, huge influence on my life. You close the loop often on that, and I think I think not enough people do that, and I think that's a gift that you have. Well, thanks. Um, that's very kind. I, I I think it's incredibly important. Yeah. To do that. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and one of the things that we're going to talk about in, uh, when we get to leadership is this idea of recognition mm-hmm. and how incredibly important mm-hmm. that is, you know, and, and whether it's professionally or personally, well, however it might be. Um, so yeah, I'm a, I'm a big believer in that. The same people that you mentioned as influences, your mm-hmm. uncle Mike, Gary, were those mm-hmm. people that also did that for you? Where did you learn to do that or yeah um yeah that's i think it is a learned, interesting yeah i think it's a learned thing yeah uh i i don't remember that okay yeah i don't i don't remember that so maybe just, it isn't a, maybe it's just in you well well <laughs> i i i think well that's it that that's interesting um no no but just i, I think what it is is um I came to appreciate. Uh, I came to appreciate moments with them, mm. and so and so. Hopefully, you know that taught me something that I I need to think about that with other people, mm-hmm. and and I never thought about it in that way until you just asked that question. Mm. So, mm. yeah. So that yeah, that's what I would say. Hey, you're cheating looking at my no, list. I'm not, I'm not, <laughs> no, I'm not reading. No, I'm kidding. Um, I'm kidding. Your brothers. Your brothers had an influence on you. My, my brothers you're had... You're the youngest of a, a bunch of older brothers, yeah. and all of the names rhyme. Can you, can you walk through that? Sure. Yeah. Uh, Ron, Lon, Don, and John. And, and that's us Oh, that's fun. Yeah. And, and my mom <laughs> but said... That, that's... That's being honest. We got to believe that too. Oh, right. Ronnie, oh yeah. Johnny, Johnny, oh yeah. yeah. And and I think maybe all of them saw Curtis Mayfield at one point at the Steel Pier. So yeah. So now that you say that, yeah. um, no. But um, uh, my my oldest brother Ron, he just passed away last year, and uh, but but I got to see him before he went, and mm-hmm. so and that was yeah, and that was interesting, obviously, and sad and. Uh, but still, but still wonderful as well, you know, that, that, that we got to share a few moments before he, he left. Uh, then my brother Lon, he lives in Florida. He does some interesting things. Um, 
he works at a planetarium uh, part-time and helps mm-hmm. and gives tours to like Boy Scouts and stuff about the stars. So that's pretty interesting. Mm-hmm. And my brother Johnny, he's the one that's 18 months younger than me. Um, and so we played on a lot of the same teams together, had a lot of the same friends, that, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, he, I, I call him Monsignor because for the last 20-some years, he's worked for an oncology group. And he, um, he takes patients to hospitals and doctor's offices and that types of things. People that are incredibly sick, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. you know, near death so often. And yet Johnny tries to make them laugh and, and tell them stories. And he's gone to some of their funerals. And, he, and so many of his patients have thanked him for what he has done for them. And, and that's just an incredible thing. So I was calling him father for a while as if priest, you know, because my Catholic background. Uh, but, but I've advanced him to Monsignor. Yeah, so he's, so he's happy about that, I think. Yeah, yeah. so. But, uh, but yeah, sure, that, that's a huge influence and, and still is, mm-hmm. still is to this moment. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you talked about uh, kind of a thirst for knowledge and, and um wanting to learn new things uh, how did that manifest then through through elementary middle and high school um history yeah history biography yeah um current events that i was drawn to that um, at five six years old hmm. and um and uh, as a matter of fact because we went to a catholic grammar school the day that John Kennedy was inaugurated, because he was the first Roman Catholic president, uh, we had off. So we were. So I watched the inauguration. Mm, okay. <clears throat> yeah, uh, eating chicken noodle soup that my mm-hmm. mom had. You remember yeah. the day? Oh, January twentieth, nineteen sixty-one. Yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. And um, yeah, and so, and and I've been involved in politics um, a number of times, and and yeah, it's. I think it's important. I think, and oh my God, and. Now it's more important than ever. <laughs> yeah. Now, because because now, you know, now it's it's literally life and death. It it really is. And if you want to talk about politics, fine. But um, you, you know, I just I just think that we're on the precipice of uh, a group that is literally trying to destroy the government of the United States, and and we need to be aware of that. Talk about, oh, you got one? Yeah, Yeah. well, so I want to acknowledge you have a Blinken on your shirt. I do. It's a young A Blinken. I do, yeah, Yeah. and uh, can you read the quote as well? Oh, what is the quote? Yeah. The better part of one's life consists of his friendships. Oh. You know, and just, so just talking about that, so Eden and I Mm. are friends, Mm. and, um, one of the things that he's taught me is that you're able to uh, exercise some demons through biking. <laughs> and so, really? yeah, yeah. Oh, when this I is, this is a first that I'm hearing. Anyways. Oh yeah, and when and when I told Ginger that I was going to say that, she said, "Oh, Eden's going to laugh at that." And I said, "Oh yeah, Eden's going to laugh at that." And um, and uh, talking about Ginger, you were asking about my influences mm-hmm. uh, when mm-hmm. I was younger. Uh, the the influence of my life has been uh, Ginger, my my wife, my mm-hmm. partner, um, and um, it, uh, there's a great line from the Stevie Wonder song, "See R and B," mm-hmm. 
mm -hmm. uh, that girl. And uh, he goes, she doesn't use her love to make him weak. She uses love to keep him strong. Mm -hmm. And and that's what Ginger has done for me from day one. And then the other thing is, um, and I, I, I don't I don't remember the quote, um, but it's from Emerson, who's, who's my favorite writer, and I should remember the quote since he is. But um, he talks about the fact that to find someone in life who not only shares your truth, mm. but shows you what is true, mm. that's, that's when you have found the right person. And that's um, what Ginger has done for me. How has she done that? What's um, an example of that? Oh, uh, an abundance of genuine yeah. love. Yeah. Um, you know, and people love her. You know, she, she's that type of person that people are drawn to. Um, she, she always thinks the best um, in all situations, which is, you know, who, who does that? Mm -hmm. I, I don't know a lot of people that, that do that. That's yeah. a very difficult thing to do. Yeah. And she does. And, um, and she has incredible gifts and talents. Incredible. Um, yeah. It's just... Yeah, she's, she's it. <laughs> um, so what else? <laughs> yeah, I, I'd, love, I'd love for you to talk about um, your political involvement a little bit, and then I'd love to get into kind of um, early vocation. Oh. And kind of that, that part of it. Okay. Yeah. Um, political involvement, I, I um, 10 years old. The presidential election of 1964. It's Barry Goldwater against Lyndon Johnson. We were big Democrats, always big Democrats. Um, the guy who owned the liquor store that lived across the alley from us was, uh, <laughs> I can't believe I'm telling this story, you know, but anyway, uh, he was a big Republican and, mm -hmm. and not a nice guy, mm -hmm. okay? Mm -hmm. So I decided that I wanted to put a Johnson for president sticker on the back of his car. And, um, and my mom was the lookout for me mm -hmm. when I did that. Oh, wow. Oh, yeah. Yeah, she came outside. So she, she supported it. Oh, yeah, she came outside. She laid down on the grass, you know, and was able to check the alley to see if any cars were coming. And I ran across the alley and put, and it took him three days before he realized he had that bumper sticker on his car, <laughs> which was really nice because every time he would drive by, we would look to see yeah. if it was there. Um, you just kind of sat back and see, you just kind of observed what, oh, what the fallout would be. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 Um, so, so I love politics my whole life. Mm -hmm. And um, I worked on my first campaign when I was 17 for state senator, and that was great. And then um, started to write speeches for a different state senate candidate two years later. And, um, and then was elected to my city council uh, when I was young. And, um, you know, and got to work for Senator Paul Simon when he ran for president in 1988, who was a tremendous human being. Mm -hmm. Just tremendous. And um, got to be with him uh, a bit and learn some things from him, and yeah, and it was and it was wonderful. But it's it's politics that's so important, or you know, at the very least, voting that's so important. Go ahead, I'm sorry, you were going to mm. say something. What was your draw? What was the early draw? What was the influence in that this matters? That I want to expend my energy on this? That I can have an influence in this space? I think John Kennedy had something to yeah. do with it. Oh yeah, yeah. oh yeah. Mm -hmm. You know the. Um, 
I didn't understand what the new frontier was when I was six years old, but um, he he had something to do with it. Yeah. Oh, and uh, yeah, he had something to do with it. And then he influenced my dad to get involved in politics. And so my dad ran for council and won in 1961. And, um, and it was a democratic sweep. And then the next democratic sweep was the year that I ran. <laughs> so those were the last two democratic sweeps in A. Carver City. Yeah, mm. at least back then. Mm. But anyway, that's just a silly mm -hmm. piece of data. Um, you went to school for political science? Uh, I, well, no, my first year I went into a Catholic seminary mm. oh, okay. to study for the priesthood. And, uh, and, and that, that, that was an interesting experience to see that side of things and institution. And sure. Yeah. Yeah. That was different. Um, I, I, I learned a good lesson. Uh, one of the good lessons I learned there was, uh, from my theology professor who was father Dunning and he talked and he was a great speaker. He was the best speaker of any of the priests at the seminary. And he talked about the fact that if you ever know that you're going to be speaking anywhere under any circumstances, um, always make notes. Because if you do not, it's an insult to your audience. Mm. And, and I... Have notes or make notes? Capture notes or, or have your talking points? Have, have, have your talking points. Yeah, be prepared. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah have your talking points. And so I, I've, I've had a chance to do some speaking in, in my life, and, and that has definitely helped me. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Simple lesson, but it's really important. Even not needed as an aid for yourself, but show up prepared. And, and it's an insult to your audience if, you don't have, if, you, if you're not coming to some sort of level of preparation. Yeah, that's, that, that's an interesting point. I didn't think about it in that way, but I think that's a great point. Yeah, I, I, I agree with that. And then the other thing, too, is that you're, you're much more confident. You yeah. know, one of the things that, uh, that Eden and I have talked about, and, and then he mentioned in, in notes he sent to me about this, is instilling confidence. Mm -hmm. and, um, and one of the ways that you do that is to have a couple of reference points sure. in front of you whenever you can, whenever you can. Yeah, it, it makes a difference, I think. What were key lessons from seminary? I mean, you... you Let's get into that a little bit. You said it was um, interesting. You said you learned a lot. What, yeah. Yeah. Let's, what, what's the, what are the key takeaways there? Um, Father Dunning, again, my theology professor, mm -hmm. first day of class, he stands in front of us and he says, now I want you to think about everything that you know about the Catholic Church. I want you to think about everything that you know about Catholic faith. And then he paused and he looked at us and he said, and now forget it. Hmm. And I had, I had no idea that we were going to be thinking like that. Hmm. I had absolutely no idea. And, um, and it actually began to make me drift away from the church, which, which was fine. It's fine. It's, yeah. it's good. <laughs> because, because you came in like you came in thinking that you had some knowledge and you could leverage that existing knowledge and that I'm not going to relearn all of the things. Uh, uh, not, not in this case. No, yeah. no. What this was, was um, everything old doesn't work or many things old doesn't work. I think that was the lesson that at least I took from him, hmm. you know, and so if that's the case, 
then I need to rethink a lot of different things. And then that made me drift away. So he kind of um, presented within that space, which I think is interesting within a religious space, this idea of critical thinking. Probably, yeah. Yeah, good point, probably. And he had all of the answers. He thought he had all of the answers. If you just, if you just now, just learn what I know about it. Yeah, is that was that? I I think he knew what questions to ask. Yeah. As you and I have discussed, Eden and I have had a number of conversations about asking questions and the importance mm-hmm. of asking questions, and I think he knew which questions to ask. Mm. Yeah. Do you remember a specific question? Um, I know we're going back a few years now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. See, and he always has that funny smile whenever he mentions my age. You know, and I try to get used to it, but it's tough. Um, no. Um, yeah, we are going back a number of years. Yeah. And uh, I, I don't remember yeah. the exact question. But just the lesson about notes mm-hmm. whenever you're going to speak. I mean, that that is a life lesson that, that you take with you forever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so, you know, the year was worth that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then, and then what was after that? And then uh, we I went to there? a state school, Stockton State College, which was near my home in Ake Harbor and finished, uh, uh, my degree in political science and okay. modern history there. And, um, and then that's while I was in finishing college then is also when I was in council. Yeah. And, um, had had a great political science professor there who was an ex-priest. <laughs> and, and, and I don't know if that drew us together yeah. yeah, that much closer, but um, yeah, he was an ex-priest. So uh. I, th- I think I find it really interesting because um, of maybe just a, a similar experience with church but like this idea that you ha- you're in this space where you're you're going to <laughs> you're part of the church mm-hmm. so what was that po- what was that moment where you started to move away from that path of becoming a priest and did you then also move away from church altogether? Uh, to answer your first part, celibacy had something to do with it as well. Okay. You know, I was 18, 19. Sure. You know, so that had something to do with it. And then as far as... Um, so you didn't like that idea? No. No. <laughs> <laughs> no. I, I, no, as a matter of fact, I came to believe I was dead set against it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. But... Uh, and then drifting away from the church was uh, a, a much slower process. Uh, sure. m- my yeah. dad died at 56. Okay. And, um, and I know that that had an impact yeah. um, on it. And then, uh, and then just the more I, I read and the more I learned mm-hmm. and, and wanted to start to learn about other religions at that point, you know, then I realized, no, wait, there's a lot of similarity here. Mm-hmm. You know, and so if there's a lot of similarity, you know, something might be a little off. So the more that I learned about that, uh, made me drift further and further, and then I I got into humanism, and that was yeah. that was the the final draw, straw, whatever, mm-hmm. either one. 
So talk about humanism. Um, I have a tiny understanding of what it is, um, this idea of thinking of, uh, of, of believing in human potential. So maybe you can give them maybe a, a more detailed understanding of, of what being a humanist means to you. Uh, I think a humanist, in, at least for me, is someone who does not see the need for a higher power. Mm. That whatever is important happening here, now, let's concentrate on fixing that mm. without having to go somewhere else. Sure. I think that is my interpretation of humanism to a large extent. But mm -hmm. I, I brought a couple things regarding humanism. Perfect. Um, you know, I, I mentioned about the similarities, but when you think about organized religion, one of the words that really comes to mind a lot, especially if you're indoctrinated in it at an early age, is fear. So I didn't think about that as a young person, but then as I got older and realized that it's this installation of fear, you know, that that just didn't seem to be a good way to live. Mm -hmm. um, Madame Marie Curie, uh, who was agnostic, she said that nothing in life is to be feared, it is only to be understood. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, so, I, so I, I started to think about, well, let's take some fear, you know, out of my life. Let's, Let's get rid of some of this fear. And um, so that's, that's part of it. This is a book called Free Thinkers. Mm -hmm. It is a history of American secularism by Susan Jacoby. And uh, I was in the American Humanist Association three-year program, uh, and we were able to get her to come and speak to us, mm. which is really nice. But uh, so talking about fear and why... I think that a lot of organized religion uh, really concentrates on that and how that's not the way to go. Yeah. Um, when Martin Luther King went to visit the first of the Freedom Riders in 1961, um, you know, these people who got on the bus did not know if they were going to be beat up or worse uh, to go to, to the South. He wanted to give them copies of Gandhi's books. Mm. Okay, um, if uh, there's a famous picture of Dr. King uh, where he's sitting in his um, dormitory in uh, college and he has a picture of Gandhi behind him. Mm. So he was, he was a, a great lover of Gandhi. And, but he knew, though, that if he brought books about Gandhi into the prison, that, you know, the sheriff would not let those books in. Mm. So instead, he took book covers of Billy Graham book jackets and put them around the books of Gandhi and got him into the prison mm. that way. Mm -hmm. so, mm. You know, so he, he was able to overcome his fear yeah. uh, and then got many others to overcome their fear. And even though he was a very religious man, he was, but, uh, you know, that was a great lesson in just forgetting about the fear. Mm -hmm. aspect 
I, I don't think that was his religious side necessarily. I think it was, well, both maybe his humanist and right. religious side. Hmm. Yeah. And then as, as far as a, a definition of humanism, Susan Jacoby writes, it is time to revive the evocative and honorable free thinker. With its insistence that Americans think for themselves instead of relying on received opinion. The combination of free and thought embodies every idea that secularists still hold out to a nation founded not on dreams of justice in heaven, but on the best human hopes for a more just earth. Mm -hmm. Read yeah. that last part again, Don. Sure. Not for justice in heaven. <clears throat> Founded not on dreams of justice in heaven, but on the best human hopes for a more just earth. I don't know how you can go wrong thinking like that. How do you practice that? Mm. What does that look like day to day? Um, it looks like recognition. If, if the opportunity presents itself, however simple, however grand, whatever it might be. Building I, other humans up. Sure. Building their yeah. strengths. Yeah. Um, I think, you know, I, I think that's part of it. Um, one other thing I wanted to mention about humanism since you asked about definitions. This is from JFK's peace speech. In 1961, it's a speech he gave, he gave shortly after he became president because the nuclear threat was incredibly high and he wanted to get people to, you know, think differently. So he said, our problems are man-made, therefore they can be solved by man. And man can be as big as he wants. No problem of human destiny is beyond human beings. Mm -hmm. Now, a president of the United States <laughs> said that. Right. You know. <clears throat> I think that's very powerful. Mm -hmm. So, let's talk about leadership because these are leaders that you're talking about in this humanistic space also you know right because there's because a lot of humanism is as you described we don't need a higher power power but there are of course humanists that are um you know that believe in god and that are, are religious as well um I'd probably consider myself one, Okay. <laughs> actually. Uh, um, you're, you're a humanist that believes in a higher power? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I would probably, if I was going to label myself in any way currently, that's probably the direction that I'm leaning. Did you grow up in a church? Uh, no and yes. Uh, early on, no. Our family was, um, we visited with other families every once in a while, but we were largely not very religious. We had a Bible in the home. My parents grew up that way. Um, middle school, though, when my parents divorced is when we started going to church, me and my mom and my sisters. So um, I was in a non-denominational church okay. for a while, and 
what was interesting to me about this idea of this this priest who was an influence on you mm-hmm. in, and this idea of critical thinking in that space is even though I had a falling out with my church, there was a lot of talk around critical thinking and around mm. um, that, you know, they would say some things, some people in leadership would say something, but then would also say, but you don't have to believe that or you, you know, find mm. out for yourself. So there was a lot okay. more, em- there was a lot of emphasis on, on, uh, working out your own salvation rather than fully relying on us to provide you everything. So so there was sort of almost the similar thing that happened with me where that part of the church actually lent, lent itself to me eventually leaving. Um, okay. But yes, I'm, I am very interested in coming from this humanistic view, your ideas and maybe ideals, because I think humanism is idealistic. We're talking about mm-hmm. believing that we can get good out of all human beings. And I do hold a little bit of skepticism there, probably mostly just because as a human being myself, not always feeling like I'm living up to my best self or what that looks like. So maybe you can talk about leadership in that space and what it looks like to to instill confidence or to get that potential out of people and what that looks like for yourself. Okay. Sorry, that's a lot. <laughs> yeah, no, 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 it's, it's, it's good questioning. Um, First of all, I I just want to say that at least for this humanist, I don't believe necessarily that there's good in every single person. Mm. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I so I don't want to give you that impression. Or even a hundred percent good in any human. Yeah. Right. Right. Like like I think that's what you were describing there. Right. It's not always Thank on. You. Yeah. It's not yeah. always good. Even well-intentioned humans. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Have flaws and off days and make bad decisions. Yeah. Um, but but I hear your point. Mm-hmm. It does sound idealistic, but it's not. I don't think it's zero or one. I don't yeah, think you're okay. either that or you're not. It's yeah. What if we shined a light on when when it's on? Yeah. What if we shined a light on that strength? Yeah. Yeah. If, if you strive for it, you know maybe you won't quite reach it, but you may get close. But maybe yeah. it's worth striving for. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. Maybe it's a thing. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and so. So you ask about leadership, and and you you talked about how this humanism manifests itself through leadership. Humanists, I think, manifest themselves through through praising people. Mm-hmm. Ben Franklin and and Eden knows this quote. He he had a um, he, he's very famous for a quote: "Speak ill of no man." Mm-hmm. Okay, it's very famous. People know that quote, but there's a second half of that quote that is rarely repeated. And the second half is, but speak all the good you know of everyone. Mm. So, so just think about that. Speak all yeah. the good you know of everyone. So that means that even if you see someone for 20 seconds and you see them do something that you think is worthwhile, 
to tell them that, even if you've mm. never seen the person before and you'll never see them again. That's what I was describing, what, what a skill yeah. and a trait that you have, that you live, that you practice. Well, that, that. Well, well, thank you. But, but that, that to me is, is what leadership is to a large extent, mm-hmm. recognizing that. And, and that comes from, from nuance, I think, mm-hmm. to a large extent, and discernment. And now I'm going to get into a little storytelling. <clears throat> so... Louis Armstrong, greatest jazz trumpeter supposedly that ever lived. Uh, in 1928, he recorded a song called West End Blues. And, and the song shocked every musician that knew anything about jazz music or music because Armstrong played the trumpet in a different way than it had ever been played before. Mm. No one had ever heard such music come out of a trumpet. And Wynton Marsalis, who is now considered the greatest jazz trumpeter today, and he's also artistic jazz director at Lincoln Center. He said of Louis Armstrong, he said he played at the highest technique, and the highest form of technique is nuance. Mm. See, and I think if you actively look for things to find in people, which, which I believe is nuance, if you look for that, you'll find it. And if you find it, then you can tell them, and if you tell them, life is better. And you feel good about it because you were able to lift that up and tell them, right? It's a positive on both ends. It's something that you've showed me and taught me. Not only does that person feel better about themselves and you're building that strength, you have a little bit of that inside of you that said, maybe I helped and maybe I lifted them up and saw something that they didn't see in themselves. It's practicing humanism. That to me is practicing humanism. Yeah, it, it is. Um, it, it, relationships. Trying to be good at relationships, I think, to me, is part of definition of humanism. And, and when you talk about that, there's a... A great story, and I, I love stories. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if he mentioned that in any kind of preface to you, but I, I love stories. And uh, there's a great story about Mark Twain uh, on his last trip to Europe, and he knew that this was going to be his last trip because he was an old man. And he wanted to meet George Bernard Shaw, who wrote Pygmalion that My Fair Lady is based on. And um, so they arranged a luncheon. So reporters followed Twain wherever he went. He was one of the most famous men in the world. And, uh, and reporters went up to George Bernard Shaw after Twain had lunch with him and spent about two hours with him and said, uh, and asked, uh, so tell us about Mark Twain. What was it like? What was it like having lunch with him? And George Bernard said it was, uh, Bernard Shaw said it was a tremendous experience. And he felt like he knew Twain his entire life. And I'd only been with him two hours. Yeah. So reporters were incredulous about this. So they said, how can that be, Mr. Shaw? You know, how can that possibly be? And he said it was because of Twain's, quote, complete gift of intimacy. Mm. See, I think when you recognize something in someone and you share that with them, I think that's intimacy. Yeah. I, I, I really do. And, um, and I believe that's, that story illustrates yeah. 
it's a form of intimacy. People are sometimes afraid, I think, to connect in that way. Have you ever experienced that? Um, or have you always felt very free to just express your appreciation? Does everybody like you, Don? Other people don't. <laughs> no, no I, I've got a list. That's, that's on a different sheet. Yeah, I was afraid you were going to bring that up. So. <laughs> Hang on, i got to go grab it. <laughs> yeah, and I come out with a scroll. Yeah. <laughs> um. <laughs> you, but you pick no. and choose. Uh, well, I I do I yeah. I do. Um, but, and to answer your question, Jess, uh, I think you have to think about not only what you're going to say to the person, but how you're going to say it. Mm. And and I even and I even would include tone of voice in that. Yeah. And timing and yeah. when and how, right like the the delivery of that. At, yeah? at, absolutely. Yeah. A, mm-hmm. Absolutely. Think about that ahead of time. It's not like you have to memorize what you're going to say to the individual, but mm-hmm. but think about the importance of those things before you say it to the individual because you have to let the individual know that you're sincere about what you're saying. Mm-hmm. Um Anne Marlinberg wrote that the most exhausting thing in life is insincerity. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, you know, with all the BS that people deal with on a daily basis, um, you know, if you can relay that in the short period of time that you talk to the person or in longer conversations, that's critically important. And I think that's part of thinking about when you're going to say something to someone to make sure that they understand that you're being sincere and not just saying something for the sake of it. Mm-hmm. It takes energy. So how do you do that and sustain energy? Or it has it been such a long practice that it's it's nothing uh, to you now. It's easy. I actually find it energizing. Yeah. 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 You see the lift though. I think you see and recognize the lift, and that's the energy mm. that you that you mm-hmm. get back. That's, that's what I was trying to describe. Yeah, the double positive. Mm-hmm. It is, I think, for a while, it is exhausting. Like, how do you how do you continue to do that? How do you show up? I think you get the energy back from when you see their head snap back, and they yeah, say, "Oh, that makes sense. this person sees me as a human. Yeah. This person actually cares." Yeah. yeah, and you've you've given them a moment. I think that's where the energy come from mm-hmm. comes from. Yeah, and it's it's a heck of a feeling. Mm-hmm. It is, yeah. Um, one of the things that I wanted to mention, um, you know, you, you talked about having fear of some fear of talking to an individual. Mm-hmm. See, and, and there's that word fear again, you know, and and so it makes me think. Uh, about a story about um, Franklin Delano Roosevelt. See, see a, a lot of what I think about is through the prism of American history, especially mm-hmm. American presidential history, because I, you know, I, I read uh, a lot of that when I was a kid. And um, you read it, a lot of it, or you read all of it? <laughs> <laughs> I've seen your library. Yeah. yeah. No, I did not read all of yeah. it. No. Yeah. Uh, any any books about a recent president I yeah. may have missed? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But um, uh, in his first inauguration speech, when mm. 
25% of the country was unemployed. Now imagine that. Mm. You know, we went sure. nuts during the pandemic when yeah. what, we hit eight and a half, nine percent. Right. No, twenty-five percent unemployed. Yeah. Hundreds of banks closing weekly. So people are losing any money that they had. Yeah. Immediately. Mm-hmm. Okay. And in that speech, he said, "We have nothing to fear but fear itself." Mm-hmm. Yeah. But but the story that I love about that speech is, he's sitting in his wheelchair, waiting to walk out to get up and walk out to the inaugural stand to take the oath and then give his speech. And he's looking at his speech and he adds a first line to the speech. You want to talk about leadership. He adds a first line to the speech. Now, now here he knows the country is waiting desperately to hear something from him that's going to give them hope. Mm-hmm. Okay, desperately. And, he, and the line that he wrote, that he started the speech with, the first words that Americans heard from him as their president was, today is a day of national consecration. Consecration. It's a religious word, but mm-hmm. can anything be more serious in that particular moment then he wants to th- he wants Americans to think of the fact that it's a consecration day that that something incredible is going to come mm-hmm. from this day it, you know and and the other thing about talking about FDR and leadership is something that I saw you have at Keller and um, when FDR tried to drag the country out of the depression um, he thought of all these different programs. So we had things like the Works Progress Administration and Civilian Conservation course, things like that, which put millions of people to work. And when he first started up with these programs, somebody asked him, well, what if they don't work? And he said, well, if they don't work, we're going to throw them out and we're going to get new programs. And one of the things that Eden used to try to talk about at Keller um, to the innovators and, and just to, to everyone at Keller was the idea that it's, it's all right if something doesn't work. Yeah. It's all right if we tried something and we made a mistake, but now we're going to learn from it and go on. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, and I think that's part of leadership, mm-hmm. you know, giving the latitude, giving the comfort to the people that you work with that if a mistake is made, okay, we're going to learn from it and we'll go on. Mm-hmm. So that's something that FDR believed in strongly. Um, How do you think about success? How do you think about legacy? um, Do you think about that? Do you you look back on life and ask yourself if you've been successful? And um, how do you answer that question? Um, I, I don't think a lot about the past. Now, historically I do, mm-hmm. but my own individual past, I don't think a lot about mm-hmm. it. I, um, mm-hmm. I, I think to a large extent when I learned what love really is, and I didn't learn that till I was 46, um, I think... I think more about that than I do about what happened before that. That actually may be 
a really helpful answer for a lot of people is what is love? <laughs> how did, yeah, right? Like, how did you find it? And what, is, what does that even mean? Uh, yeah. Ay, ay, ay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. What is love? Um, it just, I, I think it's, it's showing um, with no effort whatsoever that you want to do anything and everything for the person that you're with. Mm. I think that, that, at least to me, seems like an example of love. Um, it, it's, it's, it's almost ineffable. It, it, it really is. I, it, it's hard to explain. Um, if Ginger was here, she, she, she would help. <laughs> yeah. But um, when, when I first, I met her on a flight. Uh, she was a flight attendant, and I had done a, a seminar in Fort Lauderdale, was flying to Little Rock to do another seminar. And, um, and I saw her reading a book, so I asked her what she was reading, and we had a conversation, and she asked me where I was going, and I mentioned Little Rock, and she said, well, I'm getting off in St. Louis, but I'm going to be in Little Rock tomorrow night. And it was Halloween, 2000, and she had on this, uh, this uh, sweatshirt, this Halloween sweatshirt, yeah, as her flight attendant uniform. And um, so I asked her to dinner, but she was getting in too late for dinner the next night. But we agreed to have lunch the following day. So um, at, at the airport lounge, at, at the airport restaurant in Little Rock. So I walked in, and she's already seated at a table, and she put her hand up like this. And I thought, someone that did this has the energy to love. Mm. Yeah. And I was right. <laughs> yeah, I was right. She does. And um, The lunch went all right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it went good. Yeah. Yeah. No, but but the key, no, no. But no one's ever asked me that before. See, see, that's why Eden thinks differently yes. than everyone else. Yeah, no one ever has ever asked me that before. No, but the key was uh for the next few weeks we only talked on the phone. We didn't see mm. each other. Mm-hmm. So we got to know each other, you know, a little bit through that conversation. Yeah. Um, so then when we did see each other, which was uh, a few weeks later, it was, um, it was more of a continuation than a, than a start of something, it seemed like. Yeah, that, that we had already gotten an idea of what was going on here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, Le- legacy, um, somebody that did think a lot about legacy is this person right here. Mm-hmm. He, he talked about it as a young man. He wrote about it frequently. And so when he went to sign the Emancipation Proclamation, uh, it was January 1st, 1863. And he knew that this document would put him in the history books forever. Mm-hmm. But back then... In the 19th century, there was a tradition of the White House having an open-door policy on January 1st of every year. So he shook the hands of about 3,000 people that day. Imagine it. 
So now it's done, and now he has to go and sign the Emancipation Proclamation. But his hand is shaking <laughs> from all the hands that he shook. Yeah. So what he did was he calmed his hand. And then once his hand was calm, then he finally signed the Emancipation Proclamation. And when he signed it, he looked up and he said, if my name ever goes into history, it will be for this act and my whole soul is in it. Mm. See, now that's somebody that thought about legacy from a young person on. I, I really don't think about legacy a lot. I think more about the present and mm-hmm. if I can describe it with uh, a quote from uh, Henry David Thoreau, one of our, our greatest writers about nature especially. Mm-hmm. He said that to affect the quality of the day, that is the highest of all the arts. Mm. And so if you're able to have a, an impact on someone in the course of a day... That's about staying present. That's about not thinking too deeply about it, but just doing what you can in the present. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, can I tell you one other story? Yes, please. Okay. Um, This is about da Vinci. And Walter Isaacson, who wrote a great biography of Ben Franklin wrote a biography of da Vinci. And what's unusual about that book, and this is just a few years ago, was he got access to da Vinci's papers, to his notes. Now, back when da Vinci was alive, there was a paper scarcity. So he had to crowd everything he possibly could in tiny little writing on this paper, because that's, you know, he, he had very little of it. So on one piece of paper that Isaacson came across, it says something about the color of the Mona Lisa. But then underneath that, da Vinci wrote, study the woodpecker's tongue. So when I heard Isaacson tell that story, I had to find out about the woodpecker's tongue. Mm-hmm. So I found out that the... well. And, and, and I should preface this by saying, when I worked at Keller for a while, I had the opportunity to speak to the new group of uh, associates that would come in about every six, eight weeks or so, and just talk to them about different things. And one group I talked to about curiosity, and, and I told this story about da Vinci. Mm-hmm. And uh, so so the tongue of the woodpecker, so I'm thinking, okay, well, I got to find out about it. So I read that it's three times as long as the beak of a woodpecker. But what's truly amazing is it's able to pull the tongue in and it wraps around the brain that cushions the brain as the woodpecker knocks into the tree. So, so when I tied that to curiosity and uh, I told that story to, to one group at Keller and one of the new associates looked at me and he said, Don, we're having a happy hour tomorrow at 4.30. You're invited. <laughs> <laughs> so I didn't go, but it got me an invitation yeah, to a happy hour. But I, I just think that's incredible about the woodpecker. I think it's incredible that da Vinci wrote that, 
you know, with in on on the same page as where he's thinking about the color of the Mona Lisa. So yeah. how did you tie that to curiosity and talk about curiosity? Because we've had a few guests that talk about the importance of curiosity and and um, just learning things in general. Well, I, number one, I think it gives you energy. Mm. Uh, I I really do. I think that uh, that that if you want to connect with people in life, if you want to have the kind of relationship that you want to have with someone, you need energy. Mm-hmm. You need, you need to know that you're going to work at it. And I don't mean mm. labor. I, I don't mean that type of thing. I mean you're going to really think mm. about how this can work, what I need to do. And, um, and, and so w- with curiosity, um, uh, and, and education, Iris Murdoch, who's a, a novelist philosopher from, uh, from England in, in the uh, last half of the 20th century, she was speaking to an Oxford group one day, and she, uh, she talked about education. And at one point she said, Education tells us where delights are lurking. And you see, I think if you can tell a story that teaches a lesson, Mm -hmm. I I believe that is steeped in delight. And And so if you're getting the opportunity to enjoy those delights on a frequent basis through education, whether it's reading, whether it's in class, however it might be talking to someone, um... I think you get a chance to feel a lot of delight in life. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and don't you get energy from that? I think you do. How did you tie it back, the woodpecker, to yes. back to curiosity? It was because you were curious enough to go see what that meant. No, it's because Da Vinci has got the Mona Lisa on his mind, but yeah. he's curious enough, curious enough to think, I gotta find out about the tongue of the woodpecker. That's. That's to me. That's such a lesson in curiosity. Yeah, it really is. Oh, that was a note to himself. Oh yeah. 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 It, it, it was on the sheet. Yeah, he had written that down. Okay. No, go ahead. Well, well I was just going to say something about generalists, and, and the reason why I say that is, is because um, when you read about what people are thinking about regarding the future. And, um, and who's going to have an opportunity to have an impact. They talk about individuals that are known as generalists. Mm-hmm. And, and to me, that means just learning as much as you can mm-hmm. about anything you can, whenever you can. Right. And, and in any venue, you know, absolutely in, in any venue, um, you know, wh- wherever it might be. Are you still learning things? I hope so. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And how? Reading? Reading. Yeah. I, yeah, I, um, I have the opportunity to, uh, to read some good stuff. I love, well, I have, every day I read the New York Times, the Washington Post, uh, Political Wire, which is if you want to know what's going on in politics in the United States, I highly recommend. Um, the Guardian, the London newspaper, The Guardian, uh, Variety. Um, ESPN, 
so that so that so that gives me some overview of what's going on for that day. But then I also read things like uh, the New York Times Book Review, which is a wonderful publication. As a matter of fact, Ginger and I were in New York a couple weeks ago, and we walked past the New York Times building, and, I, and there were two security guards inside sitting at a desk. And I ran in and I said, tell whoever is responsible that I love reading the New York Times Book Review. And the guy yells at me because I'm, I'm walking out the door, and the guy yells at me, and he goes, you're helping to pay my salary. Yeah. Yeah, and that's how I walked out of the Times building. That's hilarious. Yeah, I yeah. can see you doing that. Oh, yeah, yeah, that was great. And, I, and, and, also, and also in New York, we saw uh, Jessica Chastain in uh, Revival of the Doll's House. Mm-hmm. And as you walk in to the theater, for the first 20 minutes before the play starts, you walk in 20 minutes before the play starts, Jessica Chastain is sitting on a chair that is slowly revolving on the stage. And when she gets around, she just stares out at people in the audience. And then she goes, and that, that went on for 20 minutes. So she had the audience in her grasp before the play even started. Without saying a word. What, what right. an incredible yeah. thing. Yeah. And then the way the play ended, uh, A Doll's House is about this woman who realizes she's in a, a terrible relationship and she's, she's got to leave or she's going to die. And the way they did it in New York was at the back of the theater, it's all in black, but then all of a sudden a garage door opens and it opens to the street in New York. You see cars going by, you see people walking by, and everyone in the theater, and it's the only time I ever heard it, everyone in the theater went, <gasps> all at the same time. Mm. And then Jessica Chastain walked out of that garage door, and that was the end of the play. Wow. Yeah, that was, yeah, that was really, uh, that was fun to see. Yeah, so, so now that's... Now I don't have to go see it. <laughs> well, well, it, well it, 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 it ended June 10th anyway, so, so you wouldn't have had a chance. It was only a limited engagement, or, or else I would have told you the ending. Okay. Yeah, yeah, I would have told you about the chair, but not the ending, yeah. But uh, you, you watch a lot of theater, you watch a lot of movies. I, I, I do. You appreciate story in that respect. Oh, one, 100%, yeah. yeah. Um, you know, and, and whether it's it's uh, newer movies or, or whether older movies. Uh, I mean, talking about Jessica Chastain, if you saw The Eyes of Tammy Faye, mm-hmm. um, she won the Oscar for that, and that was that was an incredible performance and an incredible mm-hmm. story. Um, yeah, yeah, learning, you know, just talking about history again, the best years of our lives, that one best picture in uh, 1946. And that is a story about three returning servicemen and mm. what they go through. And, and it's, it's really, it's the history of, of post-war America. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, if you want to know what was going on, that's it. And it was directed by William Wyler, and it was called the most technically uh, perfect directed movie in history. Mm. Yeah, it's, it's really something to see. But, uh, but learn through that, learn through reading, learn through talking, you know, to folks. Yeah. You know, I love having a good conversation, geez. So one of the one of the thoughts that I had going back to the Da Vinci notes oh, uh-huh. was this idea of right, you're working on a specific project, but there's also the enough importance in 
something else. Um, and I'm not even quite sure how to form a question around that or... or um, it's like don't get lost too much yes, in what you're trying yes, to do, but be you. open to what you're going to learn as part of taking that on. Is that yeah. kind of what you're describing? Yeah, I think so. if you're just so. solely focused on the right. project that you're working yeah. on, then you miss all of the stuff, maybe the, yeah. the other stuff. Well, and in and, and talking about that, uh, the fact that neuroscience tells us that you really should never be that way. Mm -hmm. you, know, you, should never, you have to allow yourself to have time to just take things in, to that, just, the, to just the think. The mind wandering. I, yeah. Exactly, mm -hmm. yeah. And, um, and I, I think that's very important, and I, I try to do that as well. And, and I think that can give you moments of insight, which mm -hmm. are very worthwhile. You know, very worthwhile as well. So, what did you spend time training and consulting on? You spent a good number of years in that space. Was it around neuroscience? Uh, the last, the last. Let's see, from uh, two thousand eight. So the last seven or eight years was on the brain and business. I was mm. certified as a, a brain and business coach at the Harvard Faculty mm. Club, and um, and that was that was very interesting. And and uh, I, I spoke on that in a number of spots. And then prior to that, I um, facilitated seminars on things like customer service, best management practices, um, ideas like that, taught speaking a little bit. Talk about that a little bit. Talk about the brain and business. Yeah, what are, what should we know? Is it, is it some of the stuff that we no, talked what about? Are, what are some, what, yeah. what are yeah. some yeah. high? Give us <laughs> Give us the cliff. What should we know? <laughs> Wait a minute. I don't have those notes. Yeah. What are some key highlights from that experience of one learning about the brain um, and learning about the brain as it relates to how we do business? Um, well, a, a story that I like is I, I uh, with two friends from the Humanist Association. We went to this thing called One Day University. Uh, which was uh, up in Boston, and it was uh, four well-known professors would come in and speak for an hour or so in, uh, on their topic of specialty. Like Gordon Wood, who's a great historian, came in and talked about the revolution. And I heard a, a speaker named Sean Aker, who uh, was at the time professor of psychology at Harvard, and for like four years in a row, he had been named uh, the most popular professor. But you think if you teach positive psychology, you might have an <laughs> in on that anyway. But anyway, he, yeah, he talked, about, he talked about the brain, and he talked about happiness and the brain. Mm -hmm. And that got me thinking about it, about the brain, and um, so I wanted to learn more. So I started to read about it. I... Uh, uh, I subscribed to this thing called Scientific American, which had uh, a special uh, edition that's, uh, that's regarding the brain, and that was wonderful. And, and started to learn these amazing things uh, about the brain. And, and I'll give you one example, and then I'll answer your question about, um, about work in the brain. But uh, there's uh, what neuroscience was able to figure out, there's a story about people that have lost a limb. Mm -hmm. Lost an arm, lost mm -hmm. a leg, whatever it might be, lost a hand. And so they go in and see this psychologist, and the psychologist has a mirror. Yeah. You, you know this? Yes. Yeah. 
And have you heard this story? Yeah. Yeah, the psychologist has a mirror that as the person goes in and puts their hands on the table, if the hand is missing, they'll show a hand. The mirror will show that that individual has a hand. But then over time, as the person goes to visit, they make the hand smaller and smaller and smaller until it eventually disappears. And the reason why that's so phenomenal is because people that have lost limbs many times have severe pain where that lost limb was. You know, they'll say, oh my God, my hand hurts so bad, and they don't have a hand. Mm. But by, by, by neuroscience doing that, it was able to get that individual, that patient, to forget about the pain, and they no longer had pain in what they thought was their hand. And, and that, yeah. that, that is just mind-blowing to me. And, and so, so I'd read things like that, and you know, I, would, I would take them into Ginger and say, Ginger, listen to this, you know, and it would, it would just be incredible. And so I went to, um, to consult with this brand new company in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. And so the owner meets me at the airport, and he takes me to lunch, and he sits me down, and he says, Don, first thing I want to tell you is, everyone in this company I hate. Now, his son is one of the people that runs the company. His daughter is one of the people and her husband that run the company. Welcome to the company. It was like, yeah, yeah. A nice little orientation. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I hate. So... So I found out that one of the reasons why there was such animosity there was because he was unfair in, in a lot of ways to a lot of people, and, mm. and people felt this unfairness. Mm. Well, the part of the brain that recognizes when you feel that you have been unfairly treated also happens to be the part of the brain that tells you when there's an un or a lousy taste in your mouth. Hmm. You know, so, so the old adage about, oh, that left a bad taste in my mouth. Mm. There, actually, there actually is neuroscientific mm. proof behind that. Mm -hmm. So I, I told him that story and told him about that and got him to understand that that's how people are feeling. And yeah. I, I was lucky, but I was able to get him to think otherwise and recognize that that was an issue. And so got him basically to take a step back, mm. you know, and let others run the company. Mm. And um, so it was, you know, it was like little things like that that I learned that I was able to take the people and, and the reaction was just, was just wonderful. It, it was phenomenal. So how do you do that, though, without, um, without causing the person to sort of, or is there, is there some resistance at first and then just through, what is your approach to that? Oh, oh, it, it, it takes time. Yeah. Oh yeah. 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 There, there's no doubt about it. It takes time, but you see, you've planted the seed. Yeah. See that, that's the thing you've planted the seed. And so then once you plant the seed, then you're able to, you know, as you visit, you know, try to put a little fertilizer on it, get it to grow mm -hmm. a little more. And then if you're lucky, eventually it does. And, and so that, you know, that happened to me, and, and I think the company was better off for it. And, mm. yeah, and it, it, was, it, was, it ended up to be a wonderful experience, even though it started. Mm -hmm. You know, like I thought, well, this is going to be hellish for the next whatever. <laughs> yeah. 
there's people that don't want to change. There's people mm-hmm. that won't change. It doesn't always work, even if you have the best approach or methodology, even if you know the brain science. How do you approach that? Like when you know that this isn't going to be worth my time or energy because it takes the human to actually want to change. Yeah. When, when I see that... Um, that that they they might want to try and get it but they just don't get it yeah and that's when it's time to say okay it's been nice but you know i think others might be able to do something for you yeah and yeah it, because i i i don't want to i i i don't want to waste time in trying to convince people that if we look at things this way mm-hmm. Life is going to be better for you. Yeah. You know, I don't, you know, I'll, I'll try it at first. You know, we'll see how it goes. If I see a little spark, that helps. Mm-hmm. You know, if I know the seed is growing a little bit. Mm-hmm. But if I see um, the heavy hand of management waving me away, mm. you know, what's, what's the point? It's like, I mean, I could draw an easy correlation to politics. Mm-hmm. You know, there are people who believe one thing about the way America should be today that I find repugnant, um, that I find extremely ignorant, that I find racist. And, um, you know, and what's the point of trying to convince them otherwise? I mean, they just, they're not going to be convinced. They don't want to be convinced. They don't want to talk to you about, about trying to be convinced. You know, so, so what you have to do then is think about, okay, what about all the rest? Yeah. You know, that's the thing. Mm-hmm. What about all the rest? Yeah, so that's how I feel. I think about this idea of convincing versus shining a light in such a way that helps people at least to start asking questions. It's wonderful if you can do I, that. <laughs> right? Yeah, Jess, if you have that ability, I think you need to share that with us. Yeah, yeah, really. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think you do. But not tell them. I, I just, right? yeah. Don't I, tell them how it is, but just be yeah. curious enough to go find it for themselves. Yeah, Maybe, I, I right? think for me, in just thinking about owning a business or, or thinking about right, just teaching yoga. Mm-hmm. I know what the benefits of moving the body, right? You don't even have to call it yoga. I know what the benefits of moving the body are. Um, and more and more is coming out there the, that moving the body actually makes us feel happier, right? Uh-huh. Those chemicals in the brain that are uh-huh. released that allow for that. Um. But I never wanted to be a salesperson. I never wanted to be a salesman in my business. Uh-huh. I never wanted to try to convince. I only wanted to be able to say, this is what I have to offer and whoever is interested to. So, yeah, I don't know. I, I think about language, too, also around... Um, that was redundant. <laughs> I think about language around... sharing 
information with people, especially information that may be new or may threaten change Mm -hmm. and how we can use language to and story that's why where i think story is so powerful and maybe Mm -hmm. you have something more to add on there as well the power that storytelling has whether it's historical fact or fiction to at least in the moment that you're reading the book or watching the movie or listening to the song, has in showing or inviting people to a moment of empathy with someone who is maybe in some ways like or unlike themselves, but they can relate to in some way. It's, it's nice if you're able to have that breakthrough, but I, I find that a breakthrough like that is somewhat rare. Yeah. Yeah. And, and in just talking about stories, you know, if I had anything to add, I, I wanted to ask either of you if you have ever been to the New York Public Library. No. No, okay. <clears throat> the street that is perpendicular as you walk up to the library, it's called Library Way. And it has these bronze plaques that are embedded in the cement, about maybe, I don't know, 10, 15 of them, as you walk up to the library. And one of them is from an author named Muriel Rukeyser, who was a a poet uh, in the, um, like from the 30s to the 70s, who uh, wrote about things like uh, feminism, um, social justice, Judaism, anti-Semitism, and like I said, this was from the 30s to the 70s, and they have a quote from her uh, as one of the plaques, and the quote says, uh, the universe is made of stories, mm. not atoms. Hmm. You sent me that. Yeah, I did. Yeah. yeah. Why is that significant to you? Because when you do any research into neuroscience, you realize that the hippocampus, which is the memory part of your brain, has been taught to learn from stories. Mm. It, it was the very first way that we taught others mm-hmm. stories. And so that literally is in, in our, our makeup. Mm-hmm. You know, when, when, when you think about how the brain developed, that memory part, part of that developed because we were hearing stories. This is how we learned. Mm-hmm. Tell a story so I can learn. And, and that went on yeah. for a long, long, long time. I was, uh, I'm <laughs> slowly, very slowly um, reading this book called The Organized Mind um, by Daniel Levitin. Uh-huh. And he talks about... Um, how the choices that we make are more based on an emotional response than on fact, right? On knowing any facts Mm -hmm. and thinking about um, the reason. He he used the example of purchasing a vehicle and how we can have all the facts about the different types of vehicles, 
but maybe a friend tells us, oh, I had a terrible, uh, I don't mm-hmm. know. Mazda Miata. <laughs> Mazda Miata. <laughs> okay. All right. Because I actually want one of those. All right, so we slammed Mazda now. So that's no, I'm that's not. good. Yeah, I'm not saying that. Issue, just, just, yeah. So. yeah. We just lost a sponsor. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, damn. No. Yeah. Um, but right, like brand, right, whatever mm-hmm. the brand of car is, mm-hmm. and um, tells a terrible story about it. So even if the, the facts are all there that this is – a fantastic vehicle it like meets all the safety measures it has this that and the other thing that story was so impactful to them that they went with a different choice uh maybe something that is not from uh statistics or scientifically as good um So I don't know what to do with that information. <laughs> well, there, <laughs> or maybe there's, you can. Well, there's there's a scientific about, fact. Yeah. There's a scientific <laughs> fact that that proves what you just said. The amygdala, which is the part of our brain right. that regulates emotion, yeah, it's in our reptilian brain. Mm-hmm. See, the prefrontal cortex developed, you know, after that was already there. So we've been guided by emotions mm-hmm. since the beginning. Right. What's that? What's that? What's that? Yeah. yeah. Mark Marin, by the way, the comedian Mark Marin. Do you know him? He. he you know Mark I think Marin? so. He has a great yes, line. Yes, yes, because he, he has a podcast. Yes, he has yes. a podcast. Yes. yes. Okay. And he has a great line about uh, about death, and he says the way that he wants his death to go is. Wait, what? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So for some reason, that just made me think of that. But but this this reptilian part of the brain, I mean, that's the thing that has led us. Yeah. You know, since day one. Mm-hmm. And uh, and and that's that's why emotion does overtake us. But you know, that's that's one of the things about humanism that I like that they're so concerned with reason. And and actual facts, you know, not your facts or my facts, you know, that mm-hmm. type of thing. And science, mm-hmm. you know, that it it helps you to control that amygdala, okay. that that older mm-hmm. part of the brain mm-hmm. that you know that wants to get upset or that wants to um, take over at a time when the facts are stronger. Mm-hmm. So I, I think that's one of the things that humanism does as well. I use some of that in human-centered design to um, leveraging emotion and mm-hmm. feeling and, and that those are important things as we think mm-hmm. about who, who, who humans are that we're designing for. Absolutely. I think oftentimes we want to, to remove that emotional part of it and say, you know, let's look at the statistics or what, is this, what are the statistics saying? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but if you really understand how humans make decisions and you understand the things in front of them, um, I do that through teaching empathy interviews yeah. and, and understanding mm-hmm. the emotion behind that and what makes them them. Um, but it's not it's not the traditional way that we make decisions or that businesses no. make decisions. No, it's not. So it's a mindset shift in terms yeah. of like celebrating that there's a human behind this, mm-hmm. that that's who we're serving. Yeah. Nice. When we were chatting before Eden arrived, uh-huh. um, you had mentioned 
maybe some differences that you had when you were working together. Oh. And so I wanted to oh. ask about how do you navigate that when you're working with another person, those creative differences or differences in, in just thought differences? What? Uh, well, I'd say one of us goes and, and uh, starts up, helps to start a podcast, and one of us goes and climbs trees. <laughs> yeah, that's, uh, yeah, that's pretty much how you deal with that. Yeah, yeah, that... Um, yeah. <laughs> How's retirement going? Yeah. Oh, fine. Yeah. Fine. Yeah. yeah. Good. Yeah. Good. Yeah. So, okay, hold on. I just have to ask about yeah. the tree climbing because I wanted sure. to ask that before. Sure. Were you climbing the tree for fun just to, like, climb a tree? No, or, no, no, no. No, there... although, although I have done that since okay. we moved up here, which okay. was in 2012. <laughs> Uh, but no, no, I do that and they should do that more. Yeah. I just, I, I think that tree, cl- celebrating tree climbing, oh, like getting yeah. a different perspective, oh, yeah. just getting yeah. out of nature. My daughter does that and she loves to climb trees. And it's oh yeah. yeah. But no, no, I'm doing it because, uh, we have some trees that have uh, pine trees that have limbs. I've, I've cut okay. down all okay. the hardwood trees. Yeah. They're, they're gone except yeah. we have two cherry and two apple trees and all the rest mm-hmm. are pine. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so some of the limbs, you know, just get so dead. And mm-hmm. so I climb up and I'll cut them off and. Mm. Yeah, that type of thing. Um, but uh, but yeah, I enjoy it. Yeah, it's. Yeah. Uh, in fact, I was just telling Ginger last night. We were sitting out on the porch, and uh, when we sit on the porch, we're mom, pa, cattle. <laughs> yeah, yeah. See, now that's a, that's a very old reference. What is that? There was an old uh, an old radio show. And it was called Mom Pa Kettle. And they sat on the porch and talked a lot. So we're Mom Pa Kettle. But anyway, um, yeah, I was just talking about the fact that, that because uh, I guess it was Wednesday or Thursday, I, I was up and, and doing it for hours and hours, and how I really felt connected to to the tree and to nature. And, and I've been reading a little bit about trees recently, that they literally talk to each other, which, which is amazing. Mm-hmm. Trees talk mm-hmm. to each other. Mm-hmm. I mean, yes. think about that yeah you know how does that happen you know but i mean and even through their roots and that type of thing and and so it just you know it was, it was yeah the, nice thing to do. i had heard about that too the root systems and how they share nutrients and oh yeah um, resources with one another uh, yeah mm-hmm. it's it's something yeah. Did we answer your question? That you were I talking don't about? think Just that like, you no. answered. You're talking about like no, the no. part so, leaving JJ no. Keller is what you're talking about? Or? Well, I'm, no, while you were yeah. there is what that I... That we didn't always see at eye yeah. things or that... Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, so talking about navigating Eden. that. <laughs> yeah, well, for me, it was just like, you don't want to agree on everything. Yeah. You can't agree. If, if you agree on everything, what's the point? So bringing in different perspectives and listening and hearing them out and understanding where they're coming from. Um, I don't think the goal is to always align on things. Mm-hmm. I think that's how I set up some of my workshops is we need to think about this differently. We need to change something. Uh, who are the folks that are going to come in or how do I, how do I bring psychological safety so that we can have conversation and disagree on, on things. Mm-hmm. I, I didn't want people on my team that agreed with what I said mm-hmm. or that agreed with company direction or that agreed that this was the right way to go at all times. Mm-hmm. We talked a little bit about that on the last podcast to um, have backbone, disagree and commit. Mm-hmm. 
don't hold back. Right? Yeah. Tell me what you know about this. You know things that I don't know about this. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and I wasn't here, obviously, when you guys had that conversation. So I don't know exactly what you were talking about there. Tiny. Yeah. yeah. Um, is that what you were describing? Yeah, I, I mentioned the word battles because it, at times I felt mm-hmm. that, you know, we kind of did go to battle. Mm-hmm. Uh, with some others at the company and mm-hmm. um yeah and and who needs to do that who, who wants mm-hmm. to do that you know and if they don't get it they don't get it you know so mm-hmm. yeah i mean i think it was about culture change for us for a long time yeah at least for a little bit it was about how do we how do we get people mm-hmm. thinking differently how, how do we get people to accept new how do we you know we worked a lot with innovation and building new product and service and thinking about our customers differently right uh, and there was a lot of legacy thinking that we were up against. Uh, legacy yeah. thinking. That's a good way to put it. Yeah. The, what we know worked good enough. We've been successful. Why would we change? Mm-hmm. I, I'm only this far. I, I believe that we can keep going in the direction that we're going. And at least by words, there was an appetite for us to change or do things differently or innovate or get better. Mm-hmm. So I think that was the tension. Mm-hmm. Uh, and as we sat as customer insights within R&D, uh, we felt like we had an opportunity to, to raise up mm-hmm. new and different and help the innovation team and mm-hmm. the company as a whole yeah. uh, think about culture and communication and decision making differently. Mm-hmm. And it gets exhausting. And you can only do that for so long. Mm-hmm. And you can see people that are not willing to change that are in your way. And you say, uh, maybe there's other opportunities to spend energy because it, it became exhausting. Right. Yeah. It's, uh, it's when, you, when you've lost respect. You know, and, and whether, mm-hmm. that's, whether that's a, a company that you've lost respect for, for some individuals or for some way of thinking uh once respect goes out the window whatever the situation is Mm -hmm. it's tough to keep functioning yeah yeah it is at least for me yeah So, so I'm, I'm looking at what my notes. What did we ask you about, think, Don? Think, what do you want to share? That I, 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 think, I think I've, I've hit just about uh, everything. Have you I, read all of your quotes and explained them in detail? Uh, <laughs> which, which ones do I still need to explain more about? Tell me, Jess. Tell me. And I'll, I'll try. Um, no, are, are, are there ones that you'd like me to say something else about? I'm, or, or I that... think, interested in this question of meaning. Needing? Meaning. Oh, meaning. Meaning of life, why, and maybe this gets into the, that legacy area a little bit, but um, why, why do things? Uh, maybe we can even bring it into politics a little bit just because I know for myself I've been um, don't get started on politics, Jess. <laughs> oh, just kidding. Oh, oh. I've, been, <laughs> I've been I've been disappointed, and I think a lot of people have been <clears throat> disappointed with the entire system. So maybe you can talk about like why is government so important to you to 
the country, why is it so important to vote? Uh, I said the other day, I said, if, if it, if 2024, if it's going to be this person and this person, mm-hmm. I'm not voting. Well, I, I, I hope I hope you change your mind. I said if if it's going to be Biden and Trump, I'm not voting. Yeah, yeah I mean, Trump's going to jail. So. <laughs> yeah, I maybe. Who knows? Well, well, know. yeah. <laughs> um, uh, OK, well, let, let me preface my, my remarks with this. <laughs> Okay, because 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 now we're getting serious. Yeah, yeah, all this other stuff. But now, no. Um, I'm trying to there, ask there's, older questions. That's an old question. That'll yeah, going. yeah, yeah. There's a uh, there's there's a show that I love from Sweden. It's on Netflix. Mm. It's called Borgen, and it's about the Swedish Parliament. And it's about it's a fictional character though that's based on the first female prime minister of Sweden. Mm. And Borgen, B-O-R-G-E-N. And there's one scene in Borgen where uh, the prime minister, who is now former prime minister, she's out on a date because she's divorced from her husband. And the, and, and the man that she's with starts to talk politics. Mm-hmm. And she looks at him and she says, you don't want to talk politics with me. And so the guy says, why? Why? And she says, because with me, politics is personal. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, yeah, so. And oh, and mm. and that's exactly how I feel. Yeah. But but as far as not voting, you know, if it's Trump against Biden, there there is a world of difference between the two, and only one of the two cares about saving America. Only one, and it's not the guy that wears the red tie. He was the guy that helped the insurrectionists to try to take over the Capitol. And that's going to come out. The special counsel is going to indict him on that probably even before Atlanta indicts him. And, and so you, you can't have people in there that want to destroy the government. Mm-hmm. De- destroy it because if that happens, then you have anarchy. And when you have anarchy, mm-hmm. then everything breaks down. Mm-hmm. Everything, your life is completely and totally different than it is right now. Mm-hmm. If, if one person gets in, you may not have the right to speak freely. There's a good chance of that. If one person gets in, more books will be banned. There's, a, there's a, a, an absolute chance of that. Mm-hmm. If, if one person gets in, the climate will get so much worse and it's so horrible today. As we all know, you just you you can't allow those things to happen. Mm-hmm. Whether you have children, whether you don't have children, that that really doesn't factor into it. It's what's going on right now. What's going on today? This is a guy that that stood up for racists, for bigots, and is still standing up for those people. How can you possibly think that there's not a, a chasm of difference? between these two people and why it's so important to support the person that wants goodness. Mm-hmm. You know, Lincoln talked about listening to the better angels of our nature. Biden wants us to listen to the better angels of our nature. Trump wants us to listen to the devil that's on our shoulder because that's the only thing that he listens to. That, that's, that's really how it is. And... You you don't support Biden because he's old and out of touch and is have having 
tell me, tell me, I guess, help me understand so, so why you wouldn't vote for Biden. I understand the passion that people have on either side. Yeah. And I think I, I see why. But both can't I be think, right. I think for I think for me I'm not and this is probably going to get me and has gotten me in trouble with a lot of people and um I'm not <laughs> dare I say this I'm not worried about everything falling apart and having to start over again. And I think that comes from a different understanding about, it may, I think it actually comes from the same understanding of human potential. I am not worried about whoever is in office and whatever happens, because I think there are enough people in our country who will make up the difference. And we, right, like we talk about, we talk about our leaders in government as these, like, almost as though they are gods. And if we say that we are the government, if the people truly are the government, then let us act like we are the government. I'm maybe tired of old, <laughs> forgive me. No, yeah. no, it's fine, it's I'm fine. I'm tired of old white men continuing to be in the me it's too. Not, it, I am too. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. so in that way, while they may be wildly different in the way that they approach, it's a value thing for me. I think I value too much what I don't want to continue or see continue. So that's why I never have a problem voting third party and have often. Um, and that's why I never have a problem not voting and I have not voted before. Um, but I understand that that is deeply difficult for other people to hear and that there is such again there's such a passion on both both sides and the fact that we're talking about right both sides that there's just two sides there's such a problem with the way that we that we with the people that we get to hear in debates i like, I, I agree i want to hear more voices yeah. i want to i want i want there to be a fair shot for Right, thinking about this American dream that everybody who's an American citizen could become president, that's not, we know that that's not true. 
And so <clears throat> it's hard for me to, when I, when I look at it that way, it's hard for me to say, yeah, because this person is worse, quote unquote worse, I guess I'll just go ahead and vote for this person. I just can't. Well, yeah. uh, okay, well, <laughs> let, let me ask you a question. What do you think would have happened if the insurrectionists had overtaken the Capitol, had driven the, or killed some of the Congress people, stopped the vote counting of the president? Do you think things would have changed then? Or, or do you think that goodness would have still prevailed? It is, and... This again is just a different, and maybe it's a maybe it's the that I have like this. Nope, I'm not gonna even go there. But yes, because I do believe that we have progressed. I think that we have in a lot of ways. I see a lot of our younger generations coming up being so much more compassionate, empathetic, and loving toward one another. And so I do think that, again, that there are enough people that wherever leadership in the government is, communities will come together to what if they're not allowed that's the thing what and i don't i don't think right like See, we have you look at you look at all of you look at underground railroad you look at prohibition you look at um, you know yay alcohol but right, yeah. you look at you look at the civil rights movement all throughout this small time we've been here for such a right right the united States, we've right. been here for such a small amount of time through all of these different movements, there have always been the people that through these difficult, hard, challenging moments in time have come together to do something that was against whatever was legally allowed. Jess, I, I, I want to tell you that I have always been a proponent that America. And I that you know more than me. So. Well, oh, oh no, 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 no. We all have our own opinions, but but I've always been a proponent that America has been fortunate enough to have the leadership when it really needed it. The Civil War, the Depression, World War II, those types of things. Mm -hmm. Okay, Washington as the first president and setting the precedent. We've always had that, but then something changed, mm -hmm. and the thing that changed was a person came along that did not care one bit about before. Only cared about what can I get now? What can I do now? What can I control now? See, so, so what you're talking about, I, I fully appreciate. But in my opinion, times have changed. And you don't have a choice next year of letting community people stand up. You have a, if it's Trump and Biden, you have a choice between someone who wants the country to continue and someone who wants the country to be renamed Trump land. And I will say that <clears throat> I think 
Trump really just shined a light on what was already happening and has been happening. I, I, I agree. I agree. He exacerbated it. But we've never had a cult figure with as much power as Trump has in, in American history. Never. You give me things to think about, which I appreciate. Well, so. Hey, sharing ideas. Yeah. We, we all we all do that. Yeah. Yeah, we all do that. So thank you for sharing your passion oh. and your, and your um, ideas and your wisdom. I'm going to put a Biden bumper sticker on my car. Yeah, 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 there you go. If you're yeah. wondering where that came yeah. from. Can yeah. you be my lookout? Because mom is gone. So if you could be my lookout. Yeah. I don't want any uh, bumper stickers on my car. That lowers the value. Uh, oh, jeez. Okay, there you go. Yep. There you go, yeah. No, I, yeah. Yeah, it's... Um, but I, it's, I, it's a I think thing. this is good. I think that, that we don't often get to have these kinds of discussions where we can be passionate and civil. I yeah. mean, I don't know how you're feeling right now. Maybe you're like, oh, no, no, no. You got to stop being friends with this girl. No, no, no. <laughs> No, I no, I will tell you how I'm feeling. No, no, I I think I think you are open, you know, which is wonderful. I think if you had said to me, I think Donald Trump is the Messiah, which a lot of people think, mm. you know, then the conversation would have gone much differently. Yeah. If there would have been any conversation at all, probably there would not have been any conversation right. at all. Yeah. Yeah. So. Which I do not. So, yeah. No. <laughs> no. Opposite. No. Yeah. No. I I, I know. Good. <laughs> no. I, I I didn't I didn't realize at first that that to some extent this was going to be this is your life mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah mm-hmm. yeah I, I I and and that's fine I mean I had made some you know notes and stuff that I wanted to express but yeah but uh, but that's you know that's very kind of you to to do that that normally is not the case people are not normally interested in what others have to say well, I think that's mm-hmm. it I think that's some of it who are you. And what do you think about? What do you believe in? What are your thoughts on these various topics? Mm-hmm. What do you know about these based on your lived experience? Yeah. Uh, I think that's what we're trying to do here. Yeah. Yeah. And getting, at least for my part of it, you're already quite good at, I think, asking questions, um, but getting better at that and getting better in that space of curiosity and empathy. So it's a it's an experiment. Um, yeah. Yeah. Life is. Yeah. Yeah. Every day. And 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 that's why as far as the meaning of life, yes. I was going to mention this, it depends on the day. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it depends on the day. <laughs> uh, meaning there's good days and bad days. There, well, it depends on where your where your headspace is. Yeah, yeah, there, I mean, you know, if you're out there trying you know, then, then let that be the meaning of life. Mm. You know, that's all. <clears throat> Emerson talked talked about uh, if you plant a garden, if you make someone else feel good, you know, something like that. Yeah. You know, then that's a contribution. And it's it this like idea, I think, maybe of mm-hmm. what I'm coming to realize and and have seen is this idea of doing something beyond yourself. That's a nice way to put it. That there's 
greater meaning in doing something beyond yourself that's not just for yourself. Emerson said, if for a moment we thought about how great we could be, it would scare us. Ah, yeah. Okay, yes. And that's, oh. It would scare us. And that, right, in that instilling confidence <sighs> part of leadership. And how do we do that so that other people also feel, so that mm -hmm. all people feel empowered to learn and to get curious and to be at their best mm -hmm. so that we so that we can have a great so that we can have greater leaders look listen <laughs> that's how look think to look think to listen yeah. that's how that's that's how it happens yeah the, the most wonderful people that i have that i have known in my life have been those types of people Mm. The people that think to listen? Yes, the people that think to listen, the people that consciously think to look. Mm. Let me look, let me find something. Yeah. You spend your time thinking about that, Jess, and a lot of other things happen mm. organically. Mm. Yeah. Thanks for being on, fella. Hey, thanks so much. This yeah. was this, this, this was awfully fun. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 This was. Yeah. This was fun. It uh, was so good to meet you and uh, really appreciate it. Same here. No, thank you. Being you. here and thank you. sharing you. No, oh, well, you know, it's um I don't know. This this is all we have. <laughs> yeah. Each other. It's all we have.